Well, as, um, as Alice said, my name's Paul, uh, and I'm one of the site pastors here. I lead the evening service, uh, and it is great to be with you guys this morning. We are continuing our series. We're in our second week now, uh, looking at the foundations of what we as a church believe. Um, in the vineyard, we have a phrase, the main and the plain. And the heart behind that phrase is that we would focus on the main things that the Bible teaches about Jesus and the gospel. And what we don't want to do is we don't want to be a church that focuses on sort of random and bizarre theology and obscure ideas. We want to just focus in on the main stuff. In the early church, a few statements were written to summarize the truth of the Bible and of Jesus Christ. And these were called the creeds. And when we use the phrase, the main and the plain, we are talking about um, what the creeds are talking about. So across these series, we're going to focus on just one of these few creeds that were written. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Uh, And as I begin, um, I want to do what James did last week and just really clearly explain, um, we are not preaching the creeds over this series. Uh, And for some of you in the room, you'll be like, I don't, like, why are you making such a distinction? But for some people, they'll want us to be really clear, to, just to be super crystal clear, we are preaching the Bible. We are not preaching the creeds. A helpful analogy uh, to think about with this is, is the sun and the moon. So the moon has no light whatsoever. It's got no authority in the light-giving game. It has no light kind of shining properties about it. But when you look at it, you see the light. And it's the same with the creeds. The creeds have no authority in and of themselves, but they reflect the truth as we find it in the Bible. Then when we look to them, we see the truth. So, (laughs) Keith came up to me, Keith's on media this morning, he came up to me, and he was like, are you trying to break the record for the amount of passages used in one preach today? And I was like, the nature of looking and preaching through the creeds is that we're we're not going to root ourselves in one passage, uh, and so we're going to jump around a lot of verses today. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you might find it difficult to follow all of them. Don't worry, they will come up on the screen behind me. Um, And I know some of you will be more used to sort of being rooted in one passage, but we're going to jump around quite a bit today. I'm going to begin by reading the Apostles' Creed. It's a statement that unites Christians around the whole globe. It's the truth that we hold to. And it says this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You can feel free to say amen. I know we're not that Pentecostal, but we can have a bit of life in us. I got called Pentecostal Paul on Thursday. Amen. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Wonderful. So last week, James looked at that first line, and no prizes for guessing. This week, we're looking at the second line. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. You'd have probably noticed, as I just read the creed, that a large chunk of it is focused on Jesus. And it should be. He is the centerpiece of our faith. We are nothing without him. We revolve around him. Bishop Stephen Neal wrote this in his book, Christian Faith and Other Faiths. The old saying, Christianity is Christ, is almost exactly true. The historical figure of Jesus of Nazareth is the criterion by which every Christian affirmation has to be judged. 
and in the light of which it stands or falls. So we're going to spend uh, the next few weeks looking at the most interesting person in history. We'll go through the next few lines of the creed together. And you know what? Our hope and our prayer as a preaching team as we do this is not just simply that we learn about Jesus. That that is really important. We want to know the truth about him. Our prayer is that we would become more captivated by him. That we would fall more in love with him. We don't want to get lost in dry theology as we do this. We want to encounter the living God. Because the reality is Jesus is so, so good. He is a living, breathing God who wants relationship with every single person in this room. He is the living, breathing God who can bring us greater freedom, hope, and peace than we ever thought possible. And the hope and the peace that he offers, they are real things. They are tangible. They're not ethereal, theoretical ideas. They are something that you and I can experience. And as I said, Jesus is the most important person in history. And so I would say what we think about him is pretty important about us. So let me begin by asking you guys that question. What do you think about Jesus? Do you think he was a great moral teacher? Maybe you actually think he was a bit of an egotistical preacher who was after a big following. Maybe you think he was a political activist or a voice for the oppressed. Maybe you're here and you think he was God. You think he was who he says he is. You know what? There'll be a range of opinions in this room and wherever you're at. As, as Mark said during the notices, you are so welcome here. Next question, though. Why do you love Jesus? Or to put a different angle there, what do you love about Jesus right now? Those two questions, they might be hard to answer if you're here and you, you're not sure what you think about Jesus yet. You don't know quite where you've landed with him. So if you don't have an answer, that's okay. You know what? There'll be those of us in the room who are like, I do know Jesus, and I find those questions hard to answer. It's because they're tough questions. Because the reality is we can love someone, but articulating why we love them or what we love about them can escape us. I remember um, about six or so months ago, I had a moment like this. Now, mine and Claire's bedtime routine uh, is quite simple. We brush, brush our teeth, we go to bread, bed, we pray, we say we love each other, and we go to sleep. And now for me, bedtime is shutdown time. I am effectively turning my brain off when I brush my teeth. Not a lot of thinking goes on at that point, and a man who quite enjoys conversation, I don't want to speak at that point. I'll be honest, my bedtime prayers are not my best prayers. <laughs> Claire... Um, too many times than I would like to admit, has uh, rebuked me and told me to pray again because my prayer was not good enough. Say, <laughs> so, yes, my, not a lot is going on when I go to bed in my head. Now, Claire is different. Claire, he would, you know, would, would say would spend most of her days a little bit more introverted and less conversational than me. When she's brushing her teeth, a switch goes on, and she's suddenly like, hey, let's chat. How, how are you? How's your day? Well, let's just connect. Just talk to me. Just tell me things. And I'm like, okay, this is a lot. We're quite different in this way. Now, six months ago, we had this moment, brushed our teeth, got into bed, we prayed, and I said, I love you. And I was lying there innocently, and Claire rolled over, and I was like, why do you love me? <laughs> now, a word for any husbands, boyfriends, fiancés, men in the room who at some point would like a happy wife, if your lovely lady asks you that question, don't hesitate. 
And don't, don't sort of take a long pause, seeming like you're racking your brain to find an answer. And then after that long pause, say what you think is a really good answer, because you're my wife. <laughs> yep. Now, to me, this was a great answer because that means I will always love her because she will always be my wife. Now, and in the unlikely event that she became a horrible person or did something really bad, I would still love her because she would still be my wife. Yeah, explaining it didn't help then either. <laughs> but the reality is what, what was happening in that moment is Claire wanted me to articulate that I knew her, that I had reflected on the characteristics of her, that I, I dwelt on, on why I loved her, and that my love for her wasn't a passive thing, but it was an active thing. Now, would she have said, said that like that? No, of course not. But I believe that is what was going on under the surface. And, I, and the reality is, what happened as we then revisited that question the next night, and... <laughs> I had not really thought about it in the, in the 24 hours, was really, I realized I had actually been maybe not the best husband because I loved Claire, but I, I hadn't really spent much time reflecting on why I loved her. I had got so used to being in and around her every day that like, it was just like, I've just become so familiar with you and so familiar that I've begun to like, not appreciate the great things about you. And I think the reality is for, for those of us in the room who know and love Jesus, the same can be said for us and him. We love him, we do, but we've become so familiar with him that we've lost any sense of reverence before him. We've become so familiar with him that we have stopped appreciating his outrageous grace, his unfailing forgiveness, his wonderful mercy, his justice, his courage, his fill in the blank. Now, those of us in the room who are exploring faith and kind of working out what they think about Jesus might be surprised at this idea that we, we could or even should think about why we love Jesus and what about him we particularly resonate with at the moment. Maybe we're even surprised that we should love Jesus. Yeah, maybe worship him and kind of follow his teachings, but love him. That sounds quite intimate for a 2,000-year-old man. Like, what is with that? But see, the reality is at the heart of the Christian faith, it's this idea that we can have this one-on-one, -on -one, personal, dynamic, constant, engaging, evolving relationship. And that through belief and faith in Jesus, we're saved, and through relationship with him, we mature. The thing that astounds me, though, is not that simply you and I get to have a relationship with God and with Jesus but that Jesus actively wants a relationship with us. He chooses us. In John 15, John is uh, one of the four Gospels. If you're new to the Bible, Gospels are um, just accounts written about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so John is one of those. And in John 15, verse 15 to 16, Jesus says this to his followers, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And he goes on. We have a Jesus who chooses us and chooses to call us friends. If you want to find out about Jesus' intention for relationship with you, read John 17. 
this week. Go home, read it, dwell on it, meditate on that passage of Scripture, John 17. It's this amazing insight and snippet of, of us getting to see Jesus pray for us. That's wonderful. Just to pick out one verse from it, John 17, verse 3, Jesus prays this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I love that Jesus prays in the third person. The word know here that he uses refers to a knowledge deeper than just factual knowledge. It refers to something more like knowing through first-hand experience or to experientially know a first-hand account. Do you know Jesus like that? Personally, in a relational sense, not a theoretical sense, not a distant sense, but intimately because he really wants to know you. And through knowing him, peace, joy, and freedom unimaginable are available to us. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus and this morning is a moment for you to say, actually, I really wanna know him and I wanna let him in, I want that relationship. Maybe you're here and you follow Jesus for a while and you're like, it doesn't feel like I've got that kind of knowing relationship, he feels quite distant. Maybe he's become so familiar over time. And today is a moment to go, actually, I want to reconnect. I want to come back into loving relationship with you, Jesus. You know what, today and this series, it is not about going through facts and information so we know on an intellectual level the right things about Jesus. It is about reigniting love and awe for Jesus. Because our Jesus is the king who offers friendship. He is the savior who is humble, the deity who is willing to serve. He is worthy of our full attention and our full affection. And the hope and the peace that he offers, they are tangible, real things. And you know what? Um, I, I like that I'm preaching on this today because you know what? For me, for in, over the last month, the hope and peace that he offers have really needed to be real tangible things. Um, the month of August has been a tough month for my family, one, like, and it's kind of too soon to be appropriate to share publicly about it, but the reality is the Creechley clan has been battered from all sides, and it's just been bad news after bad news and tough situation and ill health and you know, kind of everything in, in a perfect storm. And the reality is in this time, well, I, I've not been able to do much more than just like put on a worship song and just sit in the presence of God and kind of cling to this hope of Jesus. What's been profound in this time is that I have experienced this peace that passes all understanding that shouldn't be possible in the circumstances. And it's the peace that Jesus offers. It's real, it's tangible. You know, what I, what I didn't need over this last month was nice theory about Jesus that I could go, well, I know that to be true. I needed experiential hope and peace that he offers. I needed to sit close with him to feel his comfort to feel his presence reassure me, to know there's hope. And that is what I want us to, to, to come away with from this series, and especially the next few weeks as we look at Jesus. It's not just to know the stuff, but it's to know him and to experience him. Now, it would be easy for me to just get lost in talking about how great I think Jesus is and how wonderful he is and how much I love him, but we are looking at the foundational things that we believe as a church and looking at the creed. So let's go through it in the remaining time that we have. When we declare this line of the creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, what are we actually saying? 
We're going to jump through this, um, this line sort of bit by bit over the, the remaining few minutes that we have together. Um, and naturally, there is a limit on how much detail we're going to be able to go into. If you are someone who wants to investigate this further or read more about it, there's a few resources that I would love to kind of point your way. One would be Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's a great book written sort of probably 50 years or so ago. Uh, another book would be The Case for Christ, uh, written by Lee Strobel. Uh, and another one would be The Reason for God by Tim Keller. If you're here and you're um, sort of really wanting to dive a bit deeper, maybe go grab those books on Amazon or from other retailers are available. <laughs> but yeah, dive into them. So, the first thing we are saying when we say this line is that we believe Jesus existed. It kind of sounds simple, and it is, but we believe that he was firmly rooted in history, that he was a person who lived and breathed and walked this earth, and that the accounts about him are rooted in history. It's virtually impossible to be a responsible historian and to question whether Jesus existed or not, so we're not going to go into too much time about it, but there is wide-ranging evidence to show that he existed, that there was a person named Jesus of Nazareth who lived in the first century, uh, around the places that the Bible says he did, that kind of claimed to do things that he said he did. Evidence from non-Christian sources like Josephus, the first century uh, Jewish Pharisee, and Tacitus, the famous Roman historian. I know you guys are like, the famous Roman historian? Um, but they help us validate the Bible's claims from non-Christian sources. So it's, it's sort of a well-documented you know, kind of thing that Jesus did exist. Now, whether he's God or not, that's up for you guys to decide. Um, but it, he did exist. So that's the starting point of what we're saying. We believe he existed, which isn't very hard to say. The next thing we're saying there is a little more subtle. Because we're not simply saying that he existed, but we're saying that he saves. And here's why. We learn at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Matthew's another one of the gospels, what Jesus' names mean. Name, Jesus' name means. There we go. Matthew 1, verse 20 to 21. It's Matthew 1. But after he, Joseph, this was um, Jesus' adopted dad on here on earth, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived is her, in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are get to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. What Jesus will do is summed up in his name, save people from their sins. Now the name Jesus actually means Yahweh saves, and Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God. And we sing some worship songs sometimes where we say that, we'll use that name for God. And here's another resource if I want to throw one out there. There's a book called God Has a Name by John Mark Comer, which is a wonderful sort of like, it's an easy read, but it's quite a deep read into God's name, Yahweh, and why it is such a profound thing that he has a name. So Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. When, when thinking about naming a child, you know, some of you in, in the room are parents, but most people at some point dream about what they might name their children, even if it's a long way in the future. Um, I imagine the room will be split. Some people will really sort of think the, the meaning of a name matters, and other people will be like, I, I don't like it. As long as it sounds nice, that's what is important. But you know what? Back in the day, a, a name's meaning carried real significance. It carried weight. And as you said someone's name, you were declaring that meaning out loud and you were speaking that truth over them. So when we say we believe in Jesus, we're saying we believe in God saves. And as that verse in Matthew just said, he saves us from our sins. That for every wrong thing or thought that we have had or done, 
that would make us unworthy, Jesus came down to earth to take the punishment that was rightfully ours and offer us forgiveness and freedom. And see, that offer, this saving work, this God saves through this person, is an offer of complete grace. This totally unmerited grace through no work of my own, no good thing that I could do. Could I earn it? Could I deserve it? Ephesians 2, Ephesians was a letter written to the church in Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 2 says this in verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Maybe you're here today and you have been trying to earn your salvation. Maybe not consciously, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, I do believe in, in like grace and it's a free gift. But actually, when you look back over the last months or years of your life, you realize that actually your motivation sometimes for, for doing your good works has been that you're trying to earn approval from God. Or maybe you think yourself more righteous because of your good works and good deeds. And actually, today is a moment to come back and be like, Lord, I've been basting in something other than the gift of grace. So, the creed then goes on to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Throughout the Bible, there is a search by God's people for a deliverer, for a king who will lead us out of enslavement and bondage and to defeat the powers that oppress us. This king would be the Messiah, and Christ is just the Greek word for Messiah. Christ is actually a title. It's not Jesus' last name, as some people might think. Now, the reality is the Bible teaches us that a result of our sin is that we face forces that are too strong for us, powers that overwhelm us, whether it's the power of addiction to substances, to behaviors, to people even. Maybe it's the power of shame or self-condemnation, the power of anxiety, which is massive in our society right now. It's the power of a spiritual enemy called Satan. He inspires evil that we see in our culture. But throughout the Bible, there is a hope that remains constant in the heart of the people of God, that one day a king would come, a mighty deliverer, and that king would set us free from these powers. Who is the long-awaited king, the deliverer? You've guessed it, it's Jesus. Here is what we read in Romans 1, verse 1 to 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, which is the Old Testament at this point, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in, the power, in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the king. And when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, we're saying we believe he is the Messiah, the long-awaited hope, the person who can break the power of sin over us. As I said that list a moment ago, maybe the different powers that we can feel under, maybe there was one that hit you particularly. That you're like, oh man, that is me. Maybe it's the power of addiction that you are just kind of feeling under the weight of it right now. You've not been able to break free from it. Maybe it's the anxiety or shame, whatever it is. What is it that you need Jesus Christ, the King, to come and give you hope and breakthrough in this morning? Again, this is we're not talking theory here. We're talking reality. Jumping forward, I know we're rattling through it. 
the next part of the line, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. God is a relational God. And this is a mystery and a beauty of Christianity that we believe in the Trinity. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are separate, but they are also one. Three in one, one in three. You know, and praise the Lord, we don't have time to go into the complexity of the Trinity. Um, but as James isn't here, you can email him any questions you have. <laughs> but really, um, that book that I recommended earlier, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, there is a, a helpful paragraph in it. Uh, sorry, paragraph, the helpful chapter. There's a chapter towards the end called um, The Three Personal God. Uh, and if you're kind of wanting a bit of an introduction to how the Trinity works, start there. It's a great place to start. And there's a lot of resources today. Forgive me. So we believe that Jesus is God the Son. He is one part of the Trinity and he is fully God. And that through that belief in his name, we are given the full rights of sonship into the family of God. Back into the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, Yet to all he did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In the book of Romans, Paul unpacks this a bit further. In chapter 8, verse 17, he says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if we indeed, and goes on. We had a, a smart meter fitted, uh, not, this, not Friday, just gone the one before, so just over a week ago. And I got chatting to the BT engineer uh, about faith and Jesus. And, you know, we had a great conversation. Uh, it was actually really awkward. I was washing up as we were chatting. Sort of, and we were kind of looking at each other, having a real great conversation. And I sort of turned to him. And I just, I did that thing that you do when you wash up, not looking. I sliced my thumb along, the along a knife. And like, you know, then it's in water, so blood is getting everywhere. He didn't acknowledge it. So we're just sort of chatting. And I'm like, I, please acknowledge it. I just kind of turned around, dripping blood everywhere. And he, we just carried on talking about Jesus. I was like, cool, okay. There's an aside. Um, but you know what? We had this great conversation. And he was, he was actually interested in coming to Alpha, which is really cool. Uh, but as he, as he was chatting... He was like, you know, I believe that there probably is a God. But he was like, I just cannot believe that Jesus was God. Just can't believe that God would come to earth. You know, even him coming to earth means that he can't be God. And for him, this was just this massive stumbling block. And I, I can appreciate that. Because it is a rather astounding claim that Jesus is God. And you might be here thinking a similar thing. But like, really? But it's the truth. It is. Again, C.S. Lewis, he has some really helpful stuff in, in that book, Mere Christianity, if you want to explore that in a deeper level. Back in, again, John chapter 1, a few verses later from the verse we just read in uh, verse 18, it says this, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. This is the core of our belief that Jesus was God. And then the final line of the creed hammers this home even more. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, God is referred to as Lord. And, and that same term is being applied to Jesus in the New Testament. He is our Lord. Now, just quickly, some people um, might say to you, if you kind of talk about this as, as Jesus God, this BT engineer said it to me. He was like, oh, but, but Jesus was really vague about it. And actually, he wasn't. 
it kind of sometimes can come across like that, but in reality, he wasn't. Just to jump through a few different examples. Um, in John chapter 8, Jesus is chatting to some, um, some Pharisees, and he says to them, I existed before Abraham. So Abraham's like the father of their faith, kind of, I can't remember, 1,500 years or so before Jesus walked the earth. And what Jesus does is he says, I was around before then. And then he uses this phrase, I am which was another Old Testament name for God. So he's just saying, hey, before Abraham, I am. That is an astoundingly arrogant thing to say to these people, if it's not true. Another example, in a culture where only God could forgive sins, and again, he's, he's around people where they're like, only God can forgive sins. He says in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, son, your sins are forgiven to the paralyzed man. In John chapter 10, he claims to be one with the Father. I and the Father are one. And again, as so often happened when Jesus made these claims throughout Scripture, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. He was making audacious claims that were really clearly saying, I am God. And you know what? If he is God, that affects everything. If he's God, we have to take him seriously. It also means that we can't just dip into what he says and go, I like this bit, but I'm going to ignore that bit. Or, you know what, Jesus, I'm up for following you, but not if it includes this. Or not if you ask me to give up this part of my life to you. You know what, the reality is if he's God, we have to surrender to him. Because we're not God. But you know what, this idea of surrender isn't to a distant, angry God, but to one who in humility took on flesh, walked this earth, stood up for the oppressed, challenged religious corruption, served those least deserving, and ultimately chooses us as friends. He is a kind king, and one in which we can fully trust. Throughout Jesus' ministry, what I love is that he consistently gives the invitation to people, whoever they are, to follow him. To surrender their lives to his will. And that same invitation is here this morning. And some of us will be in the room and we have never made that decision to follow him. And maybe today is that day. Others of us will have done, maybe decades ago, maybe years ago, maybe months ago. And we're like, yeah, Jesus, you know, I, I am following you, I am surrendered to you. But actually, as we reflect on it, there's parts of our lives that we've not surrendered to him. Parts of our lives that we are kind of holding back and saying, actually, Jesus, I won't let you speak into that area. I won't, I won't give you that. I won't give you permission to change me in that area. And Jesus is standing here today asking you to trust him completely and to follow him. Maybe it's into a new season or adventure. Maybe he's inviting you to start a small group. There's a thought. Maybe it's to make a big step, leave your job, start a new job, start a business, stay in your job, start a family, who knows? Maybe it's into an area of sustained purity or generosity. Whatever it may be, he's inviting us to follow him. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? And today, as he's there, what does it look like for us to surrender to him? Because if he is God, that's the only natural response. So just to close, my encouragement would be over the next few weeks as we do this to reflect and dwell upon Jesus. 
those of us who know him and love him maybe take some time out and ponder his wondrous nature and regain some of that awe that maybe we've lost. For those of us yet who are not quite sure what we think about Jesus, maybe think about him and go, is, it, is he really who he says he is? And if so, what am I going to do about it? The goal is not to believe the right things, though that is really important. It's, enter, it's to enter into relationship with Jesus, where he can meet us with his hope, his peace, his forgiveness, and his freedom, and we can be changed. Why don't we stand?